Showtime's Billions returns after a year-long COVID-induced hiatus, splitting Season 5 in two and recalibrating many of the storylines that we'll be discussing right now in our review of Episode 8, Copenhagen. You're listening to today's episode. So how do you want to start this off? There's the stuff I like, the stuff I dislike, there's the characters, the product placement, my questions, my predictions. Let's let's start with your rating. Okay. Rating-wise, I'm going to watch the rest of these the five episodes that come out this season because I was that enthralled with the experience. I actually watched the first episode of season five, not realizing that it had been split up. And so it was interesting to see where COVID hit and how different people looked. But my rating for this last episode would probably be an eight. And my rating for the first episode of the season would be a nine. Episode eight was slower. It felt like it was more detached and less focused than the first episode of the season. However, there's still the potential to pull off a really good cliffhanger ending for season five since I think they get a season six. Yeah, they've already been renewed. Anytime yeah, soon. they've been okay. they've renewed for season six. All right. So yeah, that would be my rating is an eight eight and nine. So overall probably an eight point five. And yeah, comparing the two because what happened was they filmed seven episodes, they writ- they wrote the scripts for them and then they shot it. But then during the middle of episode eight, uh, COVID hit, so they ended up taking a fifteen month hiatus and then they shot it, I think, the last five episodes back in March of twenty twenty one. And I'm pretty sure they completely scrapped anything that they had previously filmed for episode eight because everybody looks significantly older led by Paul Giamatti's character Chuck because he has no longer the beard. He has lost a lot of weight. His hair seems to have regressed a little (laughs) bit. Uh, He definitely looks like he's closer in age with the person who plays his father, which is Dale from The Walking Dead, than he did at the beginning of the season when we were seeing them both at his dad's uh, wedding. Right, and I watched the first two episodes of uh, the whole show back in season one. Right, exactly. And so I want to compare because. People like the first three seasons, um, and then season four and season five, people kind of have a problem with the slower pace that it took. Did they feel like at any point the show was trying to trick you? Mean you jump the shark after season yeah, three? Yeah, people are saying season three was especially the part where, like, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, so you have Axe, who is a billionaire, and he's a megalomaniac, and he wants to control his whole surroundings. So when he finds out that Paul Giamatti is after him, Chuck's character is after him, he does everything in his power to kind of undercut Chuck's ability. And I think that that some of the reason why he keeps Maggie Siff's character around Wendy is just so that he can stick it to uh, Paul Giamatti at the same time as making it seem like they're friends. Right, because Wendy in the first season is the therapist for uh, Bobby Axelrod's whole office. Yeah, and she's right now, I think, in a a different position. I think she's even higher up than that. I think she's kind of the manager of his team. His team does questionable things, though, because he spends the entire episode here trying to destroy Mike Prince. And Mike Prince is played by Corey Stahl. And Corey Stahl is just another DECA billionaire. Uh, He has tens of billions of dollars. And he really didn't have a beef other than that they were kind of uh, just friendly competitors mm-hmm. but Axe has taken this very personally and he sees him as a direct threat and so he does everything in his power in this episode to take Mike uh, Prince down and they go after his number two who they believe has a gambling problem but then they find out that he doesn't 
halfway through the episode. And Why then, did they believe you did? Because this is all information that Wags basically gives the audience at the beginning of the episode when he's talking to Axe. He had gone to a bar the day beforehand, and he had been looking for some way uh, to get under Mike Prince's skin. And he finds out that the number two had been hemorrhaging money and that they could possibly blackmail him and get dirt on Prince. It's so convoluted. It's really taking away from the rest of the show, which should just be them trying to take down Axe, like Chuck's character. But instead, we get just this side plot. And so Wags actually confronts the guy at some delicatessen, and then they end up setting up a meeting. But who crashes the meeting? Mike Prince. And apparently he's the one who's been making the bets and he's been doing it completely above board. It's completely legal. And so there's so nothing. So they're fucked, basically. Bobby Axelrod and Wags? Well, Bobby Axelrod needs to go a different way with it. Like, he needs to find some other dirt. But at this point, Wendy come in, comes in and she's like, hey, I've seen a ton of sports movies. You think that you're the good guy right now, but you're not. And if you don't turn away from this, he's going to win. But... By doing that, Wendy just kind of sets Axe off further and he decides, okay, I'm going to double down and find out what this guy is hiding. And he does find dirt on him. He finds out that he had someone sign an NDA, his dead partner's mother, who explains that when Axe was first breaking out and getting all his money and before he signed his first deal, he had been working with this guy and kind of gave him $200,000 as opposed to the $200 like, million dollars that he ended up making okay. off of their work together. And so then there was like a 60 minutes at the end of the episode, which Mike Prince had been waiting for this nice biop about him to come out. But instead it turns into this like, what we've discovered is blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And so that turns really bad for him. And now he's, he's obviously going to have some form of payback that he's going to set up. So that was that storyline. Where is Chuck during all this? Chuck is in his office getting blackmailed by one of his students. Uh, there's a pic of him burning ballots when he was a student, and he was he tried to rig an election against someone who, I guess, was a worse candidate. Do you um, get a flashback of that, or do you just oh see God, the no. video? No, no, they they're not going to cast a young Paul Giamatti. This is impossible. So he spends half the episode trying to deal with what repercussions will happen if he will be kicked off this Yale teaching thing that he's got going uh if the kid comes out with this photo publicly and then the other half of the episode he's trying to find a kidney for his dad uh but part of the way that they were going to dodge the bullet of having a photo like that come out was that he was going to have some big case that they were going like he asked his other prosecuting attorney to like find a big case for him right Hmm. And at the end of the episode, she finds this loan company, which has been putting out these dodgy loans or doing something really shady, and they were setting up a big case against it. And that rumor that got out made the loan company, uh, it lost like a ton of investors or something. And so it made it really easy for Axis Company to come and swipe it out and buy it out. And so then they were like, why is Axe trying to buy this? And at the very end of the episode's twist is that he now has some sort of bank asset that he'd been looking to get. And so now Paolo Giamani is back against Axe. And and this is where it's like the stuff that I didn't like. Okay, so we'll get into the stuff that I like pretty soon. But as far as the stuff I disliked, the direction of the first episode compared to this one, seven episodes later, the first episode you had Axe versus Chuck. It seemed like Chuck was right on his tail and he was setting up this like Bitcoin raid of, of its, the mines that they were using. And, and there was just this back and forth between them. You could tell that the things were amping up. Then you also had Chuck and Wendy on the rocks. However, you could probably say they were 
past the rocks at that point, but it seemed like Chuck still had a chance with her. By this episode, that's no longer Completely the case. Done. <laughs> they're, they're dating different people. Like, I know that Chuck just broke up with this girl named Kat. We don't even see her in this episode. Um, and then we, why, why Wendy is with... Why that, though? Because I felt like Wendy had some good scenes with Chuck in that first episode where I felt legitimately bad for Chuck. I don't know everything that he had done. I know that he cheated on her and that uh, he, he wasn't there for her. And he, yeah, he was just a bad human being for a lot of it. But you could tell that he's trying to redeem himself a lot. That I just wish that they'd gotten another so chance. So he's more protagonist than Anyways, anti-hero. Yeah, by now, I guess. He's, it's like the Suits character, I guess. They started off as, as kind of too sm- smug. Uh, they had more of a conscience by the end. But then you also had Axe versus Prince in that first episode. And that's the only one that carries over into now because that's all this episode was even about. And then you had the wild card of Taylor, who is like a triple agent in the first episode. You can't tell where her loyalty stands, if she's going to betray Axe or if she's going to betray Chuck. They're both sort of trying to get her allegiance on their side. And uh, it's in this episode, she's a non-player. She has her own business and she's got this kind of weird storyline where one of her employees is working a double gig job as just a waitress. And even though she's making like $600,000 a year. And so um, Taylor just wants to know why and kind of is like pushing her the whole time to quit her other job. Uh, But again, that's kind of like an independent shred of a storyline. And it is there any need for it that's what it's part of the dislike so no like all this stuff is just stuff that doesn't need to happen uh as much as frank grillo is a cool character to see his storyline is literally just that he he has never been wealthy before and now as an artist he's starting to get wealthy by dating wendy but he also feels like he's being used in a way like a one-trick pony they have this interesting guitar solo that comes or sorry guitar act that comes in i personally probably know who that was but um, he, he has a whole live song that he does in the middle of the episode. Another thing, though, is that all the characters talk the same. You have financial kingpins here. You have their underlings, the prosecuting attorneys, the friends of the prosecuting attorneys, like a, a lot of characters. But they're all very fluent in English. They're all smooth-tongued, articulate. They're like English majors all in this show. Right. In the first episode, It's very show-off-y. Well, information like kind of travels at a mile a minute. And you're saying that that still happens in season five? Because I was wondering if that was just kind of like a beginning episode thing where it's like you're kind of having to be caught up, but you're saying that still happens. There's a lot of information, but episode eight does... Uh, it's a lot of unnecessary information, while in episode one of the season, it was a lot of important information that carried over. Uh, then it's also too clever for its own good. That goes along with the fact that everybody talks really smart. Um, so for instance, like it tries to do a storyline where Axe is so petty and jealous about this feud that exists between him and this other billionaire, right? Mm -hmm. But why are we doing that? And then doesn't the company have better things to do? Because he then sends all the people under his employ to find dirt on the guy. But I don't know why he's rich. Like, I get that that's probably talked about in other episodes, but don't they have a job to be doing other than trying to screw over some other billionaire? Not just him, but his whole company workforce? Like, what are they doing normally? Oh, they're, well, they're usually, like, trading stocks. Are they, though? In the, in the <laughs> first season. A lot of fans take issue with Taylor and Frank Grillo's characters. They don't see a need for them, and they're, it's been a very negative reaction. Taylor, I don't mind, because I feel like she's like the counterpart character, the assassin lady, except she's more of a robot. 
Uh, well, yeah, but the assassin lady was like a main character in Counterpart, right? Yes, Taylor, and Taylor is, is a... almost a main character. Oh, in this okay. Season. I thought that she was just more. Frank side Grillo character. though does feel like a side, like random character that they decided to hook up with Wendy, and it, fine, maybe for an episode or two. But like, I feel like again, Giamani's by the end of this, uh, or Chuck by the end of the series should have a shot to get Wendy back. It feels like she was taken away from him because of all the bad stuff he had to do in order to try to take Axe down. But now that he's sort of trying to be a better person, that they should at least, she should give him another shot. Well, from what I've seen, it seems like Wendy, and this was by an article written all the way back in 2018, so the show's probably changed, but Wendy seemed like she was almost an antagonist. It said that she was like one of the most villainous characters in TV at that point. I can I can see that, but in the, I haven't seen her do anything in these last couple episodes uh, that that makes her anywhere close to as bad as Axe. But maybe maybe she so maybe she is more like Tara than I, I gave her credit for. But she is very similar to her Sons of Anarchy character. In fact, I was like, oh, this chick looks exactly like uh, the Sons of Anarchy person, and then I was like, oh, it's actually you. You even said that the last couple of shows that we've done, where it's like you thought that they were a lookalike, but they actually were those people. But I haven't seen enough Sons of Anarchy to actually recognize her all the time. So when I was like, oh, this is a blah 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 type. And then it was her. It just, it was, it was funny. An article was written, Billions is the smartest, stupidest show on television. Yes. <laughs> so that's, so you agree with that statement? Yeah, because as I said, all the characters talk really smart. And if you pay attention to what they're saying, the writing is really good. So the stuff I liked, let me, it, it's almost, it's almost in contrast. Huh. For instance, the lexicon that the actors and the actresses are asked to deal with and then deliver is on a higher tier than most television that you'll ever watch. So they do a great job of that. Like the cast does an excellent job elevating the scenes by using this like intense dialogue that's uh, got like a bunch of hidden jabs in it and stuff. So it's like word punches as opposed to real punches. Passive aggressiveness almost. It's not really passive aggressive at all. It's just very rhythmic. Like Paul Giamatti, when he gets into his, uh, he, he's almost Shakespearean, but like in a modern Shakespeare way. And the show like feeds into discord that's another thing i like about it and so i just wish the discord made a lot more sense like it did in the first episode like all those battles that were going along around between the characters made sense now the ones that they had in this episode only hinged upon like why would i care too much about taylor and her employee like that's just it it felt like a throwaway storyline so did the frank one that stick with what the series is about you know so the main thing which is basically power no the main thing being chuck's character and axe's character it didn't even seem like chuck and axe had a feud until the very 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 end and they never even speak in the entire episode yeah i think that part of the reason for that is because damian lewis um back in march 2021 he spent a lot of time so a lot of his scenes were filmed in the uk apart from i believe most of the other cast so that's the reason why i don't think you're going to be seeing a lot of chuck and axe in the same scenes I do have a three lies and a truth game here about how the show came to be. I want to see if you can guess which one. So the first one is, um, it's about like the uh, creator of the show, Sam Bain, friends with Jesse Armstrong. Yeah, he worked on the script for Billions, but decided to work separately, both of them, after they wanted to go their separate ways with the script. Jesse Armstrong's script was picked up and was used as a pilot for Succession, while Sam Bain's was picked up much earlier and was used as the pilot for Billions. That's the first option. 
second one was a pilot comedy drama spec script initially created by Gideon Raff, a writer for Homeland, was given to Showtime. Showtime picked it up, yet had a majority of scenes rewritten, focusing more on big business and drama rather than comedy. That one seems like the real one. The third one is Brian Koppelman, the co-creator for this show, was influenced by the West Wing, really wanting to create a somewhat darker version that didn't focus on the exact same issues. I mean, Sorkin is part of this, but, like, it's a different Sorkin. Well, yeah, and the last one is Andrew Ross Sorkin created the biographical drama television film Too Big to Veil, which also starred Paul Giamatti after making it. Okay, I'll say it's that one just because I know the Sorkin name is in there, but other than that, I would have said B because B sounded legitimate. Well, you're right, but I'll finish what I was saying here because okay. it is the fact. Yeah, he created a I mean, his name's all over the thing. It's yeah. like Andrew Sorkin, Andrew Sorkin. Yeah, well, yeah. he created a fictional television show in a territory often ignored by Hollywood, the world of finance. And the reason why I bring that up is because I was wondering why the show was able to get so many big names. I mean, even in the second episode, they have a cameo by Penn Jillette. And just like you said, like it's an almost all-star cast. And Too Big to Fail, which was a film that I actually saw a lot of years ago, had like a ton of people as well. Like, they're not Woods, cheap cameos either because these people who are coming in have to do the same lexicon, wordy dialogue that everybody else is stuck with. And I just have to wonder like how many people are cast come in there and then have to do like 50 takes in order to get the the lines right because the this is it's no cheap dialogue well in terms of who's cast usually the show before covid at around 85 to 100 extras each episode mm-hmm. and did you see that in like season five at the beginning of the premiere no but one of my complaints and things that i i wish that the show would do just uh selfishly is that it's supposed to deal with billionaires and deca billionaires show that wealth Show me some crazy stuff happening. Like, show me a bunch of helicopters and, and like... The- oh, well, you you have that in the first two episodes. Bobby Axelrod buys, like, a million-dollar house, and then I think at the beginning, very yeah, beginning of this it's one thing episode. to show, like, an expensive house, because he's, but he's, every show does that. I want to see something, like, truly just egregiously wealthy. Like, have... Yeah, in the second have, episode, he takes a helicopter, like, at the, to just, like, this random dinner party. Yeah, but, like, have uh, the main character, have Axe walk around with, like, a real tiger all the time. <laughs> well, and for- then have him just like have real caviar and then just put these media sh- stories out there like billions pulls robert redford out of retirement because of how much they decided to pay him for this one episode <laughs> appearance where he doesn't even like show up and then they cut him and they say he's like uncredited <laughs> well, or something. in the first episode it's all about the fact of how billionaires although they have all this money are not wanting to spend it because usually that means that more dirt will be dug up but on all them. yes but all these billionaires seem to be very well-versed in acting social. But all the billionaires I've seen, from Elon Musk to Mark Zuckerberg to, um, uh, what's his face, Jeff Bezos, like, they're always very odd when it comes to in front of a camera. Well, the whole entire point of Bobby Axelrod is that he has, like, a business that he needs well, to uphold. not only Bobby Axelrod, but also Mike Prince. And everybody I just named also has a business to uphold. Well, I'm saying that they're much more um, person they have much more personality than a lot of other billionaires seem to have. So does it seem like with the main two, anything is going right in their life? Because you were talking about how Paul Giamatti, does he have his kids at least? Uh, Only in the first episode, his kid gets sick because he was drinking at the wedding. And um, for Paul Giamatti's character, Chuck, he gets screwed over also because he's trying to find the kidney for his dad. And then he gets called away to a prison that might have a match. Because he's going to pay someone at a, like a prisoner right, yeah, to give him right. And then he gets there and there's like a doctor that he put away who's there just to tell him that he, he had planned the whole thing and that uh, this was to spite him <laughs> and that he wasn't going to give him any kidneys. And then he left. 
So like that was the entire this doctor, this evil doctor thought, okay, I'm just gonna waste this guy's time, but nothing else. Like I was like, oh, where's this going? Like, is he gonna try to blackmail him and say, okay, I'll give you the kidney, but only if you do this or something. But no, he literally just went there, said, haha, I'm the person who was actually planning this, now leave. And that was it. Like, it was such a waste of time. I have realized that the show likes to do a lot of just stabbing all the characters in the back, no matter. But there was no one to stab in the back at that point. It was just Paul Giamatti showing up at the prison to say, to find out, oh, I'm not going to get the kidney and then leaving. Like, you'd think that the guy, the evil guy would have had a better plan than that. The first episode of season five on IMDb has an 8.5 and this one has an 8.7, but that's just because maybe it just came out. Possibly. So I know that on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, it has overall, I think with critical consensus, like an 89% when they average out all five seasons and season five has a 90%. However, the audience rating has a 37%. But again, it's it's strange with this episode because it's almost flipped. It's like the audience really liked it, but reviewers were like, it's predictable. It's a normal Billions episode. It's fine for what it is. But again, it seems like now the audience seems to like it more. So it's almost like a continually just well, business cycle. It's, it's come back after a year and a half. People are kind of starved for it. And there was enough, I think, promotion for it that people are now excited about where it's going to go. Some reviewers did say that the episode was convoluted, but the AV Club gave it a B plus and said... As always, the collision course of Axe and Chuck is bubbling in the background. Tune in next week when the ever-rotating table gets turned again. I know that Vulture also gave it a good episode, calling it predictable, but saying that it was standard. They do like to have recurring story elements in every episode. In the first one, it was like, you got to put your ego aside and help out with the team. In this one, it was all blackmail. And uh, then they also have like very similar product placement in every episode. I heard Heineken was uh, very, because I saw it promoted, not only was Corey Stahl drinking it, but then he puts it down and then there's a commercial for it in the background. <laughs> and then everybody uses Apple devices. There's MacBooks. Right. Yeah. Apple, that's it. Yeah. Those are the first episodes as well. Yeah. So they're very ham handed about that. Uh, which makes me think if they have that sort of budget, they can throw it around a little bit. So get get me that tiger with Damian Lewis. It also reminds me of Silicon Valley a bit because Axe's employees act pretty immature. They uh, they get tricked with like they're smart, but Frank Grillo sells them a doodle with his name on it for $3,200. Wait, what? How does he do that? Because he's an artist, and they are talking about how rich they're going to be now, and he's like, oh, really? What would you give me for this? And then they like gave him a ton of money for it. That doesn't seem like they were that smart. Well, in the art world, I don't want to explain what the show's joke is, but yeah, it worked. <laughs> Okay. Also, right. I find it funny that Frank Grillo, because I just keep on calling that, I forgot what his name is in the show, uh, that he has gone from an action star to, um, he was in The Purge where he, well, I guess that's also action, uh, and now he's just an artist. It wasn't Tanner, right? That wasn't his name. Yes, he's Tanner. Yeah, yeah. Tanner's supposed to be hated. He has an 8.4 on IMDb. Like He, he has an 8.4? No, an 8.4? I said that it, the show has an 8.4 on IMDb. I think it was on the top 250 for a while before it got knocked off. But I, that's all the information I have. So. All right. Just to close off Chuck's storyline about him getting blackmailed. Yeah, he loses his job at Yale. But then he also um, feels like he's redeemed himself a bit because he didn't use the black... Or the not the blackmail, but the... Um, the evidence that could have gotten him off being fired, like he could have handled it a lot differently and probably worked out a better settlement for himself. However, he did the moral thing and just he kept the promise to himself. And so by the end of the episode, you see that he he considers himself a good person. And so do you think he is? Yeah, he's definitely the good guy of the group. 
Okay. Yeah. But. So I think he's going to win. That is all. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.